This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Men's domestic football is back and what better way to prepare for a vital clash against the old enemy than to get the view from the opposition corner. I'll be joined by Liverpool Echo sports writer Kiefer MacDonald to discuss the red season so far, why it's all gone wrong and if we'll see a return to the top for Jurgen Klopp's side. It's Friday the 31st of March, I'm Amos Murphy and this is the City Report Podcast. Unbelievable! Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Kiefer, welcome. Um, for full clarity, once again, I've, I've wheeled out one of my own friends to discuss things with. Last week, we had uh, Will Lancaster, who you know well, for the Burnley preview. This week, I've got another old pal on the mic. Uh, I feel a bit like a Conservative Party MP handing out contracts to all my mates, but it's it's great to have you with us. Cheers, Amos. Thanks for having me. Um, big shoes to fill, obviously, with, with, with Will Lancaster. Filling the hot seat last week, but um, yeah, looking forward to it. Not sure I'm looking forward to Liverpool returning after the international break, to be too honest with you, given how the, the past nine months or so have been. But, you know, against City, you know, if they can't raise their levels for that game, then then what hope have we got? Let's get straight into then, because it, it's a bit strange I found this build-up, obviously, international break, put a pause to it, City in flying form. And even still, you know, this game at the start of the season, I'm sure you were similar was one I looked at in the calendar and I earmarked it straight away as the big one. You know, it has been in the previous season. I was thinking Liverpool, you know, didn't expect the drop off. I'm sure not not many people did. But I saw it start of April, could be a big title decider. You know, 12 months removed from those thrilling contests. Obviously pains me to say it, but and probably pains you because I reckon Liverpool would have beaten City in the Champions League final. But we, we almost had the ultimate game in club football, Liverpool versus City, both teams at the peak. It's been a little bit different for Liverpool, has it? Um, what, what's gone wrong? I know it's a broad question to kick things off, but 
is there any answer? I think that's the problem. I think there's so much wrong at Liverpool at the moment. And I think first it's worth saying that I don't think anything is ever as bad as, as people make out. I think obviously if you look at United and you know to, to use them as an example, I think people had kind of earmarked last year that they were you know probably five or six years away from competing with Liverpool and City. And obviously I know the, the standard of the Premier League this season hasn't been you know maybe what it has been in recent years in terms of you know having to break that ninety point barrier. You know, as Liverpool and City have, have become too familiar with, um, you know, the signing of Casemiro and obviously Varane and those kind of players settling in has shown that you're never too far away from, you know, competing at the top or the right end of the table again. And I think with Liverpool at the start of the season, obviously there was such a quick turnaround given given the World Cup and and after playing 63 games and especially that that kind of January onwards with City, I think, you know, 14 points clear in the Premier League, there really was no room for error, um, you know, in every game Liverpool played really and and obviously they you know prioritized not prioritized the cups but took more of an interest in the cups given what Klopp's record has been in domestic cups since he has arrived in England so all of a sudden you, you're playing three or four games a week and every game is a must win and obviously as you get to those kind of latter stages you're playing your strongest team and and obviously to obviously to, to what happened in Paris I think obviously everyone will know and the, the events on and off the field was obviously a really hard one to take but I think that the, the way to lose the Premier League title to City on the, the final day of the season and I was actually speaking to a friend about this earlier in the week of obviously about Villa and obviously Gerrard and you know obviously going 2-0 up I think on, on 70 minutes or whatever it was and you know Liverpool should never have really been in in a position to to be in with a shout of winning the Premier League title on the final day of the season it's, it's to their own credit that they they made it a contest you know they made it a spectacle but I think you know, so you'll be able to tell me was it three goals in six minutes or, or whatever it was, something like that. So something like that, yeah. I think that was you know just a huge. It, I remember Don King from the Mail wrote something earlier this year, at the start of the 2023, and he basically said that that Gundogan goal, that second goal, just you know completely taken the the sales out of of Liverpool. You know, taken the sales out of them since, and obviously there has been you know more issues in, in terms of you know midfield recruitment that has probably been neglected in in recent years, but. I think given how close they got last season, maybe that was their own downfall because I think it's worth remembering that the first half of the 21-22 season, Liverpool really were pretty inconsistent. They had a, a bad period around Christmas, lost to Leicester, uh, drew at Tottenham, drew with Chelsea. Um, I know they had COVID issues at the time, but you know that, that second half of the season really did feel like it did mask a lot of problems. And I think maybe Klopp, given the manager he was, and obviously just talk of being too loyal and, and whatnot, I think maybe he, he looked at it as we all did in the summer. You know, obviously does the kind of the false dawn with the community shield and thought maybe we can go again and, and kind of squeeze you know another drop out of these players. And and obviously I know this summer was always earmarked as a as a massive rebuild in terms of you know maybe looking at bringing in a, another big defender and another big midfielder. But I think I think the way City have operated in the transfer window over the you know past five six seven years in terms of gradually adding players of, of quality um, in different positions across the pitch. And then, you know, you find yourself with less to do year on year. I think that has been Liverpool's downfall. Um, and obviously, it's a, as you say, I said at the top, you know, I don't think anyone expected Liverpool to drop off so massively. But, you know, that is the reality of the situation that Liverpool find themselves in now is is that, you know, yes, we would have all loved to be challenging for the you know the Champions League and, and the Premier League. But between now and the season, end of the season, it feels like if Liverpool do miss out on top four, that could potentially set them back two, three, four years because obviously with, with Newcastle, you know, even with Arsenal and, and you know, you probably expect Spurs to go again if they get, you know, a new manager of, of decent quality. So it really is, you know, whilst it might not be a big game for, you know, for the rest of the Premier League to set their eyes on, this is a, a massive game for Liverpool. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll touch on the actual fixture itself a bit later on. But in terms of, I just want to pick you up on on recruitment and transfer business because a lot of the discourse is focused on the summer departure of Sadio Mane, who was 
the scourge of Manchester City far too often could very well be the scourge of City in the Champions League quarterfinal to come. But Mo Salah was the was the man given the the bumper contracts in the summer. He was made Liverpool's highest ever paid player. Obviously, injuries aside, it was also clear Firmino was coming towards the end of his spell at the top table too. Is it too simplistic to look at Mane's departure and say that's the reason why? Maybe it, especially in the offensive half and and you know go dropping into the midfield third and whatnot that things haven't clicked as much as they have or or is there more to it? You know, you mentioned the midfield there. I, I think most people, even casual views of football, could look at Liverpool's midfield and go yeah that needs a couple more bodies transfer business has sort of it's it's been neglected a little bit hasn't it I know it's a big talking point within the Liverpool fan base but how big of a miss is Mane and would things have been different if he was here See, I found I found kind of the conversation around Mane really interesting because for the first half of, of last season and and basically all of the COVID season, the, the twenty twenty one season, you know he was a player massively shot of confidence and he kind of went on record a few times and said he'd looked at himself, looked at his body, and obviously as he was approaching thirty and and obviously played a huge amount of football with Liverpool, um, he kind of said that he, he didn't know what was wrong with him in terms of you know kind of replicating those kind of I think nineteen twenty was probably his best season at Liverpool and and then obviously that, that kind of sharp decline after. So the first half of last season when he was actually playing on the left of the, the front three and obviously Jota was kind of jostling for positions across the front three. You know, Marnie couldn't hit a barn door. I remember specifically a game at Leeds in I think it was September twenty twenty one and he was woeful. Liverpool won three nil and and you know I think he scored, you know, with 10 minutes left or so. But the second half just felt like, you know, it was it was at five aside when you're trying to get the, the, the really bad ball to score. And uh, yeah, it, it was quite painful. And then obviously, you know, Klopp kind of reinvented him as this kind of false nine centre forward kind of thing. And, and obviously that worked really well. But I think obviously a big part of last season, especially from January onwards, was the arrival of Luis Diaz. I think that Liverpool, that gave Liverpool, you know, a breath of, a breath of fresh air. And, and obviously that competition for places, as you know, you'll be familiar with at Man City, City, you know, makes everyone raise their game, you know, once again. And then it, it kind of felt when you got to kind of March and April time, even though Liverpool were going behind in a lot of games, they kind of just were riding this wave. And obviously that kind of, kind of came crashing down at the end of May. So it's, it is really interesting as, as well, because there was comments um, by obviously the former Bayern Munich manager, Julian Nagelsmann, um, I think before the international break as um, and I think Oliver Kahn as well, the, uh, the thing he's a sporting director at Munich. And and he was basically saying that Marnie isn't the player that they expected. And, you know, whilst they're not dis- going to discard him, you know, to, to decide, um, you know, there was a bit of an internal investigation as to what was going on um, with his performances. And I think it's really interesting that, you know, you've got Marnie, who, you know, at the top of my head, probably played 50 out of the 63 games last year, um, who's also struggling, you know, with form, with fitness and rhythm. I know he had a big injury during... December and obviously missed the World Cup but you know it's it does obviously draw then the parallels back to Anfield and obviously the, the mammoth 63 game season and, and kind of it has taken out of everyone you know who was involved and I think that's reflected with supporters as well so I think you know that that's one issue as I say there's so many issues to, to go on um, and then I think obviously the midfield is a big one because I think Liverpool at their best um, you know, as you think of Fabinho as kind of the linchpin of that midfield. And then you had, you know, Jordan Henderson and, and you know, maybe not a Thiago, but, you know, another player of that quality, if you want to say, a Gini Wijnaldum, who were, you know, really offensive and kind of pressing in the faces of the opposition. And Liverpool spent a lot of the game, um, you know, camped on the edge of, you know, the opponent's 18-yard box and, and were able to kind of profit on their high press and, and winning the ball back, you know, really quickly. And and because that hasn't been there this season and that obviously links back to, you know, the fatigue and the tiredness around the squad, I think Liverpool have then been exposed at the other end of the, at, at other end of the pitch. Um, and that's obviously where you get, you know, a lot of people now questioning Alexander-Arnold because, you know, for me, you know, someone who's 
probably watched every game of his Liverpool career. It's not a new, it's not, a, it's not a new uh, discussion about his defending. It's just come to the fore more because you know Liverpool are having less of the ball and they're less dominant in those kind of final, you know, final third areas of the pitch. So, like I said, there is so much to go on. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to waste everyone's time. But it, it really does kind of all stem back to the midfield. You do, you do feel like. Yeah, I, I know Alexander uh, Trent Alexander Arnold discourse is sort of something that gets me head bashing a little bit because if you're judging him on his defensive qualities, then you, you clearly don't understand him as a player, which is you know fair enough. Right back defense, it's, it's important to some degree, but it's not very linear, it's not, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, talk to me about about Darwizzi then, Darwin Nunes. Obviously, if we take ourselves back to the Community Shield, you mentioned a little bit before at the King Power, the start of the season, back at a time when the Nunes Harlan comparisons were in full swing. Darwin scores, he does that celebration, tops coming off, Harlan balls for, ball falls to him. You mentioned five aside, a little bit like me, five, about two yards out, blazes it over the crossbar. I think at that point the narrative was was starting to gear up a little bit. Obviously, Obviously, fast forward a few months, you know, I'm, I'm going to stand here and, and I'm going to defend the, the Nordic meat shield himself and say it's been a good season for Haaland, probably more than a good season. In fact, I think Nunes has been great for Liverpool, but it's taken some time to adjust, hasn't it? What, what's the feeling been then regarding his signing, his contributions? He obviously started out as that centre forward. I remember sort of laughing myself to sleep after that red card against Palace earlier on in the season. Obviously missed three matches on the back of that, which isn't ideal. Then he sort of got shifted out to the left-hand side. I remember a game at the Emirates, which Liverpool lost, but Nunes was great in it. And it's felt like from there, there's been moments, obviously chaotic. You never know what you're going to get from him, but he's he's a, he's a threat. Is, is it a successful season? Is it a transition season? Has it been a poor season? Where do you sort of fall in on his his contribution? I know it's easy to say, but I feel if you take Erling Haaland out of this equation, you know, and, and which I think you should because I think he's in his, you know, his own stratosphere. He's just a, you know, I think people can talk about, you know, whether he makes Manchester City a better team or a worse team, which, you know, quite frankly, is a, is an absolutely bizarre argument. But, you know, in in his own right and on his own merit, he, he shouldn't be included in this conversation. And, and that's not a that, that's not a slight on, you know, Erling, uh, Darwin Nunes. That's just because of the, the kind of, you know, how good and positionally... Uh, Erling Haaland is, um, but in terms of Nunes, if you can, like, like I say, if you look at him in isolation of his kind of own stats and his own performances, it is obviously. I think when you pay that amount of money for a striker, as I think obviously City will will know with with Haaland, there is such a, a huge demand on him to 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 to, to hit the ground running immediately. And, and how many players do that in the Premier League? And you know, as as to quote the famous Rory Jennings, is it that you know Harling, if he if he did if he did score the, that twenty goals, or whatever it would be a, a disrespect to the establishment. I think his his famous quote was, but you know I think uh, Nunes is on fourteen goals now, and obviously a lot of those have come before the World Cup, as you say after that that three two defeat at Arsenal, Liverpool kind of went on a bit of a, a better run there, and you know he, he was really good in the game at Tottenham where Liverpool won, which was obviously a City know a really difficult place to go, and I know Tottenham obviously had their own problems this season, but that was kind of the first game of of him and Salah, you know, partnering as a left and right side of forwards, and you know I think we saw a different side to his game there in terms of his pace and stretching opponents, and and then obviously you have someone like Salah who's you know just turned thirty and, and maybe looking at a, you know he's going to evolve into a a different kind of forward of the one that. You know that we saw during his early kind of time at Liverpool, where he'd coming off the the right hand side with a burst of pace, and obviously he's not that same player. So I think Nunes' arrival has, has complimented Salah in, in in that kind of regards. But I think the, the biggest thing for Liverpool this season is that you know they haven't had their first choice forwards on the pitch, you know, through injury um, for any amount of time really. 
you know, obviously Luis Diaz suffers the injury at Arsenal and obviously comes back in, um, which was a, a ligament injury to his knee. Um, during the World Cup, he, he went to Liverpool's training camp in Dubai and he completed one training session and his other knee went. So he had surgery on that again. So obviously he's not played since October. Obviously only done one training session. He's back on the grass now and, and he's probably Liverpool's most exciting forward. I think maybe people have forgotten how just you know, how good his impact was this time last year and, and how much he really did drive Liverpool's, you know, pursuit for the quadruple. And then obviously you've got someone like Diogo Jota who obviously does split opinions, but I think he's, you know, fantastic in terms of, you know, a is goal scoring, you know, I think he's probably Liverpool's most clinical finisher on his day. But also in terms of that, that kind of pressing you get off the ball, you know, which obviously Firmino hasn't offered as much in, in recent years. And then obviously you, you throw Cody Gakpo into that equation and you've got four really good forwards there competing for, for three places, which, you know, obviously is going to cause, you know, the more sort of their levels. But I think Nunes has probably been the the shining light, I would say, this season in, in terms of, Obviously, you know, there was a lot made of his red card at, at, at Palace and sorry, against Palace. And obviously that stifled his, his progression. But I think since then, we, we've seen a, a striker who's, you know, looked better. As I certainly thought last week at, at the Bernabeu, obviously Liverpool lost. But he was, you know, I think the, the reaction when he was substituted was, was one of, you know, you know what, what 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 kind of decision was that from Klopp? It was the same at Bournemouth a few days before when, when he opted to keep Salah on. And I think that kind of shows that, you know, while Salah might be the, the most dangerous player that opponents look at and, and, you know, maybe that one that can produce a moment of brilliance, I think Nunes right now is probably viewed as Liverpool's, you know, man who can create something out of nothing. And I think that's down to his work rate and, and the way he harries defenders and just kind of, he never gives up kind of thing. I think obviously as Liverpool fans, you know, they love to see that kind of thing in, you know, people who kind of play for the, play for the shirt. And it's obviously so cliche to say, but you look at strikers down the year who maybe haven't been, you know, of the level of Fernando Torres or Luis Suarez, you know, I'm thinking, you know, Dirk Kites and, and those kind of players who, you know, as I say, they haven't been at that level, but they have been adored by the cop. And, you know, it feels like Nunes is, you know, hopefully he's going to obviously go further and score more goals than they did. But it also feels like he's he's kind of paid back some of that price tag already, you know, with those performances and, and kind of with his effort. Because I think, you know, above all, the goals will come. He's getting himself into good positions. And, you know, I think a lot's been made of his XG kind of output and obviously not as clinical as Haaland in some situations. But, you know, I think that the foundations are there and the statistics back it up. So I think next season when Liverpool do have a, a settled front three, it will be interesting to see, you know, does he kind of revert him back down the middle as a long-term replacement for Roberto Firmino? Um, because, you know, how do you fit Luis Diaz into that system as well? So it is a really interesting dilemma because I certainly think he is better off the left-hand side. And I think just that, as I say, that kind of raw pace and maybe as he gets his finishing in, you know, as he kind of sharpens that up in time, maybe he might move to a, a centre-four. But I think certainly at the minute, as a constant threat and, you know, as a link up with Andy Robertson as well, with how relentless he is. I think the two of them, you know, complement each other you know, really well. But there's, as I say, you can play all across the, the front three, which obviously, is, as we know for you, and Klopp ticks so many boxes. Welcome back to the City Report podcast. I'm here with Liverpool Echo writer Kiefer McDonald. Let's let's pivot on to the match then. And um, Liverpool still have, as we've mentioned, plenty to fight for this season, as do City. Being out of the cup competitions, I actually feel, could potentially help Liverpool in this final running. Obviously, it's a little bit deceiving. The the clocks have just gone forward. It's a little bit lighter, but there's still a big chunk of the season left to play with the World Cup. Um, Liverpool, obviously, in the race for top four, which, which, as I will ask in a moment or two about a certain Jude Bellingham, will be really important to their recruitment in the summer, amongst other targets as well. But this is a big test for Liverpool. It's big test for City regardless of the positions of the two team straight after the international break is 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 never 
a, a, an admirable time to play football, whoever the opposition is. So it's going to be it's going to be a tough game. Obviously, Liverpool coming to a ground where they've they've seldom taken three points in previous years. It, what's what what can we expect from Liverpool? I, I've almost get the opinion that the the lack of jeopardy in terms of a title race could help Liverpool. They can go and surrender a little bit more possession, like Nunes, like Salah. They can hit hit City on the break, and I'm expecting a tough challenge regardless of Liverpool's form this year. I think that's the problem. I don't think anyone knows what to expect from Liverpool, really. And, you know, every time there has been, you know, significant kind of breaks in, in Liverpool's schedule this season, especially, you know, the World Cup, where they obviously went out to Dubai and did a five or six week camp over there. You know, the big thing and, and kind of all the noises coming out of the club has been, you know, this has been a time of reset and, you know, tactical things have been put right and, you know, fitness stuff. And, you know, the, the hangover from last season has been, you know, rescinded. It doesn't, it doesn't count anymore. And, and every time, you know, Liverpool just, Fail to really build on any of that and deliver any of the promises that they've they've talked up. So, I think you know, obviously Liverpool have had a, a week off, or say a week off, a few more days off because they didn't obviously play in the FA Cup. Um, obviously, their game was with Fulham was postponed. So, you know, they have had a bit of time off, and even those who have gone on internationals. Um, but I, I really don't, I really don't know what to expect. I mean, we saw the cup game in December, which was the first game back after the World Cup. Funny enough, wasn't it? And uh, and obviously that was the the the, the Carabao Cup and. I think in that we saw two teams who, you know, normally when they go to the Etihad or City come to Anfield, it's a really tight affair because obviously it is, you know, you can get one one hand on the title almost. And and because it was a cup game, we, we saw like a really free-flowing game of football. Obviously, it wasn't the best because obviously there had been such a big break. But in terms of goal scoring and chances, you know, it could have been, you know, what did it finish? It finished 3-2, didn't it? You know, it could have finished 5-4 or something like that. So, you know, I think Nunes had a couple of chances that night. So that's kind of... That's probably the game I'm expecting Liverpool to play again, as you say, maybe sit sit back a bit and, and look to hit City on the break and stretch them and, and you know, get in behind with Nunes and, and Jota and, and Salah, whoever else plays. But it, it really is so difficult to, to put your finger on, you know, how Liverpool will come out of this one because obviously they've got the game against Chelsea two, two or three days later, then they've got the game against Arsenal the following week. So in the space of, you know, seven days, although Liverpool aren't directly in the title race themselves, they, they can have a massive say on, on proceedings and, and that's a bit of a strange situation to be in because, you know, if, if they had a game, just say, against Forest on the Tuesday, you might think, well, if you can take four points from, from, from six, you'd probably be happy with that. But, you know, there's a chance Liverpool could come away with, you know, zero points from nine, which is all of a sudden then the top the top four, the chances of top four is, you know, all but gone. So I think Liverpool really do need to, I wouldn't say it's a free hit, but, you know, Liverpool really do need to pick up something. I think a draw would be would be a brilliant result given how, how things have, have been this season. But the one thing I will say is is that, you know, it has been the, the lesser teams that Liverpool have struggled at this season. I know their away 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 record hasn't been great, um, but you obviously that that seven nil against United comes to mind. Obviously, obviously they lost at Old Trafford earlier in the season, but I think you can lose at Old Trafford in in any given season. Really, again, same with the Emirates. But those kind of games against the top six have probably been where we've seen more of a more of a, a recognisable Liverpool, and it's been the games away at Forest, away at Bournemouth. Um, you know. Others off the top of my head that I can't think of, but there kind of have been Liverpool's Achilles heel this season, where they, you know, have been the side who have dominated possession and kind of been caught on the break them, themselves. So it will be really interesting to see kind of what approach, you know, Jurgen Klopp does go for at the weekend. Certainly, certainly, twelve thirty kickoff as well after the international break. Dear me, I'm not, I'm not too excited for it. But um, let, let's. I mentioned, I mentioned his name, Jude Bellingham. Um, 
I guess this time last year there was there was obviously the Haaland talk for City and there was this this assumption that Jude Bellingham would spend another year at, at Borussia Dortmund and it felt to some degree there was an element of ine- inevitability around him eventually signing for Liverpool. Obviously, there's the the talk of him being a future England captain. Uh, Liverpool had one of those in Gerrard. He's obviously idolised Gerrard for a number of years. He's a, his profile, a young English midfielder. Liverpool need a, an energetic midfielder and, and by no means... Liverpool out of the race for Jude Bellingham. First of all, you get the feeling that if, if Liverpool don't get top four, that that's going to be a very hard sell. But secondly, when you look at the number, the, the figures that are being mooted, even if Liverpool snatched that last that, that last Champions League position, it's looking it's looking less and less likely, I guess, that Liverpool will land primary target Jude Bellingham, which I guess would be a major disappointment given the the sort of the structuring around this deal and, and preparing him to be able to to come to the club when he was available this summer. Yeah, absolutely, and I think you know, regardless of what happens on the pitch between now and the end of the season. I don't obviously, yeah, it will be a hard sell to, to you know to sell it to Drew Belling because he will have the pick of you know the top clubs in Europe. Obviously, I imagine City will be there or thereabouts and, and Real Madrid as well. Um, but I feel like Drew Belling's decision will already be made. I don't think he'll be. I think he'll sit there now, now, and he'll know exactly where he wants to play it next season. And you know, there's a little kind of outside curveball. I won't be surprised if that's staying at Dortmund for another year, especially if they do go and you know, obviously they're a point clear at the top of the Bundesliga, and obviously I know they got knocked out of the Champions League, but they're they're a side, you know going in the right direction and and you know with with Bayern Munich not at the races especially domestically I think there's a you know there's a, there's a good chance he you know he could think well I get myself another Bundesliga title here but you know moving away from that I think he'll already know where he wants to go I think he'll have that in his mind I, the, the thing I worry about with Liverpool is that you know whether they get Drew Bellingham or not I think if if you're throwing all your eggs in one basket at a lad who's 19 and I know he's obviously not got the profile of a 19 year old I saw a stat earlier and I think he played you know 192 games or something which is just you know absolutely absurd but I think if you're throwing that amount of money at a lad you know with with his profile you know it is brilliant on the face of it but there is a huge pressure then on Bellingham to to come and hit the ground running in the Premier League which I don't think is a guarantee and that's not because you know of of the Bundesliga or of him as a as a player it's I think you know as a 19 year old with all that you know pressure and hype it, it could be an enormous ass so I think it depends. There's obviously Liverpool. He's Liverpool's primary target. You know, everyone knows that. Um, but I would be. I think there's a question here as to would Liverpool be better off signing three midfielders than signing the one? Because if you know, I think if you put Drew Bellingham in this team at the moment, he might be absolutely brilliant. But I don't think he fixes all of Liverpool's problems, and that's the issue. You know, I think if you were able to get, you know, a Declan Rice and Mason Mount and you know, then a Jude Bellingham, which obviously the three would never happen together. But if you were to structure it like that, all of a sudden Liverpool's midfield is, you know, it's, it's ready for another generation. But I just think if, you, if you're throwing him in there, you know, he's probably going to play on the, the right side or the left side. And then, you know, you've got Thiago or Henderson, probably his first choice either side of him. You've got Fabinho, who's, you know, a big question marks over his future at Anfield, you know, this summer, because, you know, with this talk of him being one of a, you know, a sellable asset, um, I imagine Klopp will give him the benefit of the doubt next season to prove himself. But again, if he doesn't, and Liverpool blown all their money on Jude Bellingham, it is a, you know, there's a massive dilemma for because you know how do they get that money back next season? Obviously, just talk of, you know, we expect by the end of the 2023 that Liverpool will have you know new investors on board, minority investors, which obviously will help Liverpool bridge the gap, you know, to the likes of Newcastle United and, and City and, and, and Chelsea and all those kind of things. But you know that that might not come as I say until the end of the year and with kind of FFP if Liverpool aren't in you know the Champions League and they aren't getting you know, the top money at the, at the top end of European football, it's 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 very hard to then bridge that gap again and, and kind of work with what you've got. 
Um, but in terms of Bellingham himself, I think I don't think where Liverpool finishes affects him too much because I think he's he's you know I, th- I think he's a character who probably relish a chance of of being the face of Liverpool's new generation, and I, he, he kind of gives me that aura of. You know, you'd roll up your sleeves and think, well, you know, I want to, I want to get Liverpool back in the Champions League. I want to, you know, I want to emulate Steven Gerrard, and that's that's, you know, obviously there was a lot of talk earlier in the week, wasn't there? You know, David Ornstein put something out and said it's increasingly unlikely um, Liverpool sign him this summer, but I think you know Liverpool never expect. I, everyone knew if Liverpool were forced into a bit, bidding war with Manchester City and Real Madrid, you know, there would only be, you know, they, they wouldn't be the winners there. And so I think Liverpool banking on not good faith from Bellingham, but they're, you know, there's a different marketing, you know strategy there and and obviously that's a sell of Liverpool the club and Anfield and all of that which obviously might sound a bit cliche and a bit you know watery but obviously it has worked in the past and you know I, I suppose it just depends on if that blows their, their full budget this summer then obviously the, I think you have to weigh that up really and think is it is it obviously long term it's worth it but in the here and now you know in the final few years of Jurgen Klopp is it and you know hopefully they can add more alongside Jude Bellingham but yeah it's, there is a, obviously big decisions to be made. I'm intrigued. I'm absolutely intrigued to see what Liverpool do this summer because it 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 potentially could be make or break. You mentioned name there, and, and final question before we wrap up, Jurgen Klopp. It, it's an impossible question, I presume, because I, I I almost feel as if the answer would be that Liverpool could get relegated to League Two before the club decided anything on on sort of even contemplating. Contemplating deciding to begin thinking about sacking him, but there will come a time, no doubt, be that at the end of his contract or beforehand, where Jurgen Klopp says, "There's nothing more I can do here." Is there a, a threat at all? Say Liverpool, you know, you mentioned this big week coming up: City, Chelsea, Arsenal. Take no points from that. Suddenly, the season's as good as over. Is there a possibility in the next twelve months, Liverpool are on a new managerial hunt? Because we've seen Klopp in previous jobs go on that seven-year cycle that's muted a lot but we've also seen him rebuild teams I think back to 2020 2021 I think it was when Liverpool last had this dip in form they were what two and a half games away from winning the quadruple the season later so you know certainly have has potential to rebuild the team however there are some murmurings that maybe this time it's different aging squad lack of investment new kids on the block etc um finally then Kiefer your opinion on on would you sack Jurgen Klopp I guess is the question I'm asking (laughs) Absolutely not. And I don't think there's any danger of that. I think, obviously, he only signed a new contract. Well, he signed a two-year extension last April. And I think, you know, maybe before that, there, there was kind of fears that, you know, he might he might walk away in 2024. Obviously, as you say, there was... I think everyone knew there was a, a big rebuild coming up. And and I think, you know, Klopp has spoken about on record this season that he didn't want to leave the club in a mess for, you know, his successor in, in three years' time. And and obviously, you know, now he has taken on that that role now of... of being the man to rebuild a second great Liverpool team and, and and do what Shankly did and 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 you know do do what probably Paisley and those couldn't you know so there's a huge huge you know as you say as you mentioned all those factors there an aging squad I think this is slightly different to two seasons ago I think I think everyone could kind of pinpoint you know the the absence of Van Dijk and, and Matip and, and Gomez as kind of the, the big issues for Liverpool um, in that in that uh, lockdown season but I think this year as I say there is you know stick your finger on whatever you want. There is so many issues at Anfield at the moment. Um, but I think having the backing of Jurgen Klopp makes it, you know, as we go back to Jude Bellingham and, and Mason Mount and those kind of players who have been mentioned, you know, don't understate it. Jurgen Klopp is probably still Liverpool's biggest pull, you know, as regards of their success over the past three or four years, because, you know, that success doesn't happen without Jurgen Klopp. And, you know, obviously the manager he is, it would be the same with Guardiola at City. He is, you know, he is City's, you know, biggest asset at the moment. Um 
so I think that obviously helps that kind of that certainty of of him signing a new contract. And I think you know, whilst I don't think anyone will begrudge him if he dis- did decide to, to leave, because I think the longest he's done is, is seven years at Mainz and at Dortmund. Obviously, his new contract takes him to, to just over ten years, which you know is, is absolutely mental. Um, so I don't think anyone, same with Pep, if you know if he decided to walk away tomorrow, given the kind of battles and and the kind of energy zapping Premier League seasons we've seen from from the pair of them, but. I think obviously going for a rebuild. If you know, if your if your manager's you know penned for an, a new two year contract, I think you know if you're a Jude Bellingham or someone looking at that, and you think right, well, I'm going to get get to work with him, and you know he can mold me into this player in kind of my not my peak years, but going into my peak years. I think that's you know massive. Was I think if he hadn't signed that contract last year, and and you know potentially looking at it now that you know 13 months away from from you losing Jurgen Klopp is a you know, a massive crisis. And it, and it feels at the moment as well, there isn't a great deal of, of, of club managers out there, which I'm, I'm sure Tottenham Hotspur are finding at the moment. So I think obviously the same as Guardiola and, and the same as Klopp, you know, even though it's only two years and in the grand scheme of things, it isn't, it isn't massive. I think, you know, until the next cycle of new managers comes up and fresh ideas, I think I think it is obviously really reassuring to have them, well, certainly from a Liverpool point of view, to have Klopp, you know, tied down to a, to a, until 2026. And, and what he does beyond that, well, who knows? But I, w- I would suspect that that'll be his, his last season at Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine the crisis would be a lot worse if suddenly we start looking at Liverpool without Jurgen Klopp, as, as far as Liverpool's concerned. But uh, Kiefer, it's been an absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed it, mate. Thank you very much. Cheers, Amos. Thank you very much. As always, if you haven't already, make sure to hit follow, subscribe, daily Manchester City episodes coming straight into your podcast platform. That's it for this week. Join us next week as we'll be reviewing this game. Hopefully Manchester City win and start to build up towards a mammoth title running along with the Champions League and FA Cup, which is set to return soon as well. Until next time, I've been Amos Murphy. I've been joined by Keith McDonald of the Liverpool Echo. We'll see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.